The title of today's message is The Manifestation of Sin in a Godless Culture. And uh, that sounds kind of clickbaity, doesn't it? Anyway, it's up on social media. Uh, Rachel made a great graphic that I really liked if you follow us on social media. Um, but we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And we're going to read that entire context of those verses, but we're going to look at a few specifically, like we often do. There's definitely some very uh, social hot buttons in this passage. It's a it's a very controversial one. However, it's interesting what Paul is actually talking about when he uh, writes this letter to Romans and how, what he's addressing and how he's doing it. But this Paul wrote this letter to believers in Rome. And they were living in a culture that was very counterculture to a Christian worldview. And at that time, of course, Christian worldview wasn't even really a thing yet, I suppose you could say, because there weren't just weren't that many Christians yet. But I notice, and sometimes I hear people say, and I don't know how seriously they mean this or if it's just something said in passing, but um, I hear people say things that lead me to believe that we have the tendency to think that we live in the worst of times when it comes to the way secular culture does things and the way they act and the way they behave. Um, personally, I really don't think that. Uh, the issues of the day are not unique uh, to the time in which we live. They're more of a human condition thing that is consistent throughout time as we look at history and read history. And Christian values, Christian beliefs are mostly consistent, or at least they should be, throughout time. Um, now, biblical beliefs are obviously consistent, but sometimes what Christians believe and shifts and things that happen may not align directly with the Bible, although they should. But for the most part, Christian values throughout time are pretty consistent. However, the values and beliefs of secular cultures throughout history are far more malleable, and they tend to change and shift with time. Um, and I suppose a lot of that has to do with they just, there isn't that solid guiding set of principles like Christians have in the Bible. And that change, you know, it's not always bad, it's not always good, it's just true that it is. And the fact that values and beliefs of Christianity remain mostly consistent and the values of secular culture tend to be more malleable and they change and shift mean that there's going to be conflict and there's going to be friction when the two meet up with each other. And how we manage that is important, how we deal with that, because you know we're not going to follow secular culture, but how we speak about our beliefs, our values, share the gospel with people, how we do that matters. And I'm hoping that we can gain some insight into good ways to do that in the coming weeks as we begin our uh, series on communication after Mother's Day. The values and beliefs that we see in Scripture, that we read about in the Bible, are perfect. They are perfect, and it can be easy to you know, put a focus on other things. The values in Scripture are perfect, however, we're not. And it can be easy to put a focus on the shortcomings of secular culture and ignore our own because a lot of the things that the Bible talks about sin-wise, a lot of Christians struggle with those things too. As Christians struggle with values and beliefs and sin just like anyone else does. And in the Old Testament, Israel struggled with living God's way. And there were times that Israel did things that were absolutely terrible. 
And when the nation of Israel disobeyed God and moved away from him and he sent prophets telling them to repent and they would not do that, God would allow them to be carried off into captivity. And one of the reasons that God wanted the Israelites or the Jewish people to follow the way he had laid out for them to live was that they represented him. Um, and when people looked at Israel, they were supposed to see God, not literally so much, but of course what living God's way looks like. And then in the New Testament, Jesus has come into the world. He's lived, he's been crucified, he's risen again, and now we have the gospel. And everyone has an opportunity to become part of God's family. And now the mission of being God's representatives has been given to churches, to people like us, local assemblies, people all over the world, living in different cultures, made up of different kinds of people. And so in a very short time there, uh, things changed from a nation of people living in one place with a well-established history of laws and traditions to a bunch of kind of random misfit churches scattered all over the place. And these churches were made up of all kinds of different people, like the people that Paul's writing to in the book of Romans. There were Jews in these churches, Jewish people, there were Gentile people, and you can imagine how people who had grown up in Jewish culture are going to feel about these, you know, barbarians and heathens being saved and accepted by God on an equal basis. And they didn't practice Jewish ceremonial law. They didn't even know what it was, nor did they probably even really care. So there's definitely some conflict happening, and you can see that as you read different books in the New Testament. And it still goes on today. Um, conflict within church, conflict with secular culture and church culture. Being in that kind of environment takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of forgiveness. It takes a lot of love. It requires a lot of grace. And a lot of the New Testament is teaching us how to live that patience and love and grace with other people. And that's not easy to do. It's not an easy thing to do. And we have to you know, that tendency to think we live in this very difficult time in history in regards to how people treat the things of God. Um, but it's relatively consistent throughout history, that, that struggle. There are some very old Christian books and authors who didn't see how things could get any worse than they were at the time in which they live. So Christians have always been placed in the middle of ungodly culture, and faced with how to navigate that and be witnesses for Jesus and take the gospel to the world. And it's not an easy thing to do. How do I take the gospel to the world and yet at the same time, you know, live a life that represents God's will and, and control my own desires to sin and all of these struggles that we go through? And Christians throughout history have always lived like that. And we've always been counterculture and trying to share a message that people don't often want to hear not an easy thing to do, but that's life as a Christian. It always has been, and that's the kind of people Paul is writing to who are living in that kind of a situation. And I don't say that things have always been similar to make light of sin. I don't mean that at all. But to hopefully offer an encouragement to you in knowing that there's a long history of Christians who have come before us, who have struggled with the culture around them, the same issues that we often deal with, and also struggled with things going on within themselves. And know that God sees you. He knows what you're going through. He loves you and cares about you, and he is with you. And in Romans, Paul is writing to a group of believers 
who are living in a very ungodly Roman culture. And in verses 18 through 32, we get a picture of what that looks like, how a sinful nature manifests itself in an ungodly culture. And as the gospel message is, is brought to the world and people come to know Jesus, this is the kind of stuff that new believers are trying to move away from. It's all the, so the kind of stuff that uh, some believers are struggling with, just, just like us today. And it shows us how important the job of church is. So let's read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And this is what it says. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth through unrighteousness. For what may be known about God is clear to them, since God has shown it to them. The invisible things about him, his eternal power and deity, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world and are understood by the things that are made, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him or give thanks to him as God, but became futile in their imaginations." And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their own bodies among themselves. They turned the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged the natural function for what is against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural function of the woman, burned in their lust toward one another. Men with men doing that which is shameful, and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not proper. They were filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. They are gossips, slanderers, God's haters, insolent, proud, boastful, inventors of evil things, and disobedient towards parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, calloused and unmerciful. You know the righteous requirement of God that those who commit such things are worthy of death. They not only do them, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you again in prayer. We're grateful for your word. We're thankful that we have it to learn from, and I pray that's what we would do. We would learn so that we might better live our lives for you, and as we read, we might reflect on ourselves in ways that we might better serve you maybe sins that we deal with in our own lives that we need to repent of, move away from, turn away from. Um, people, friends, family that we might need to share the gospel with, that you would give us opportunity and courage to do that. And we're just so thankful for the love and the grace and the mercy that you extend to us through the gospel. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. That's quite a list, isn't it? In that the passage there, quite a list of awful things. But let's say you didn't know better, just for fun, and you're a new believer, and you want to follow God, and someone reads this to you. 
And if you didn't know better, most Christians could say, that sounds like it was written about the world I'm living in right now. Or maybe that sounds worse even than the world I'm living in right now. But the reality is, is that was written about 2,000 years ago. And it's consistently applicable throughout history. And as we talk about sin manifesting itself in a godless culture and being patient and extending grace to the gospel and seeing people come to know Jesus, you know, like I said, I don't want anyone to think I'm making light of sin or I'm soft on it because I'm not. And verse 18 shows us why it's important that we don't make light of sin because it's, it's so easy to do that. It's such a temptation to do so. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth through unrighteousness. And that's something that has always been happening. And God is revealing his wrath to those who reject it. And he's doing that in the world right now. And we're going to get to how he's doing that in a minute. But we've talked for years. Well, yeah, for decades, centuries, Christians have talked about how the gospel shouldn't take a back seat to other things or how it shouldn't be misapplied. And the gospel doesn't exist to make you and I happy. It exists because there is such a thing as the reality of God's wrath. It is a very real thing. And apart from the gospel, everyone, every person is subject to God's wrath. Our friends, our family, our neighbors, uh, the people we love will face the wrath of God without the gospel of Jesus. And God's wrath, it's right, it's fair, and it's settled. Uh, there's nothing wrong with God's wrath against sin, and it's, it's a very present reality for everyone. Now, what provokes that, provokes his wrath, is ungodliness and unrighteousness of people. And that basically boils down to disregarding God and disregarding other people. Uh, what brings God's wrath on the world is destruction of right relationship between people and God and people and people. Uh, God's wrath is brought on by breaking the two commandments Jesus gave that summed up all the rest of them. Love God and love your neighbor. And we all break those commandments at some point. We all trespass those. And that's why God sent his son Jesus and I remember I was in class once, and one of the students came up with a question, what if someone never hears the gospel? That may have been a question that's come up in your own mind. That can be a challenging question to answer, but uh, what if someone never hears about Jesus? What happens to them? How can a loving God possibly hold someone like that accountable for sin when they just didn't know any better? And that's a reasonable question, and that's a question that Paul is addressing in our passage today, we might say that if they don't know any better, we might say someone, well, they just don't know any better. What then? And Paul says, but they do know better. They do know better. The problem isn't something that people don't know. It's suppressing what they do know. So the problem isn't people not knowing something. It's people suppressing what they do know. Verse 19 says, for what may be known about God is clear to them, since God has shown it to them. The invisible things about him, his eternal power and deity, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world and are understood by the things that are made, so that they are without excuse. So Paul is saying all people in all time have known of God because he's made himself known. 
He's made himself clear. All people everywhere know that there is a creator. We are dependent on him, and we are accountable to him. Regardless of what we tell ourselves, we understand that to a degree. People were created to live in fellowship with God. We're accountable to God. We exist to please God. We exist to have a relationship with him. We are accountable to him. And that is hardwired into us by the one who created us. And everyone knows that. And for us to think otherwise requires us to suppress that knowledge within ourselves. And we can't learn everything we need to know about God from creation. We can't learn the gospel from creation. Someone has to tell us about the gospel. But we can learn, understand, know that there is a creator and he is great. And anyone who already denies that will most assuredly deny the gospel as well. If someone who doesn't acknowledge the existence of God as all-powerful creator, the gospel is going to fall on deaf ears. And in suppressing the inherent knowledge of God, they are also bound to sin. And it's interesting that people who are saved, people who start attending church, people who, who understand the gospel and, and come to an understanding of that and come to know Jesus, are often looked at as people who are being oppressed or restricted in some way. And people often refer to religion as being oppressive. And to be frank, there have been some times and places where that has been the case. Things have gone off track. But Biblically, that's not true. Religious people are often thought of as closed-minded and not willing to open up to the ways of the world. But really, you're being closed-minded if you don't open your mind to the idea of an all-powerful creator and your accountability to him. And Paul says people are naturally oppressed and restricted as long as they suppress the truth that God is our creator. You have to restrict yourself and suppress that belief to deny God as your creator. And in my own experience, I have to admit that's true in my own life. There was a point in my life where I said I was an atheist. I didn't believe in, well, I said I didn't believe in an existence of God. And looking back now, I see myself as being very closed-minded. There was nothing I really had based that decision on. It's just something I said I was one day. And I'd made a decision to shut my mind to the idea of an all-powerful creator. I had to suppress that knowledge within myself. And before we were married, I told my wife, Christine, uh, I was an atheist. And she didn't believe me. She said, no, you're not. And the reality is, is she was right. I wasn't. And look, I'm a charitable guy. I can admit she was right one time in our marriage. Um, she's not up here. So I can say that. But the fact is, is that we'll never understand who we are or why the world is the way it is as long as we suppress within ourselves God's right to be God. We'll never know really who we are and we'll always struggle because you can't change an unchangeable truth. You can try to ignore it. You can try to suppress it, but it's always going to be there. And that's why in verse 20, Paul says, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Everyone knows God is there but not everyone glorifies him. Not everyone is grateful to him. Not everyone recognizes our accountability to him. 
They might try to suppress or deny that. And sometimes when we speak like that and say things like that, that can be offensive to people, and people don't want to hear that. And I kind of understand that. People can take that in a bad way and say, well, we're in trouble with God because we have bad manners or something like that. Just because I don't glorify God and give him thanks, he's going to place his wrath on me. Well, that doesn't seem fair at all. And that kind of thinking makes God sound kind of childish, makes him sound insecure, but that's a misunderstanding of how God's wrath works. And when you read through this, you see that the real problem that we have is our attempt to steal from God what rightfully belongs to him. We poach God's glory in an attempt to steal it for ourselves. And people not only don't give credit where credit is due, but we steal that credit for ourselves, claiming what God has made or done as our own. And we don't acknowledge our dependence on God, but we claim to be independent. How much glory does our culture give to claiming independence? How much glory does our culture give to being free of limitations uh, and free of needing anyone or anything else? And people like to think that, you know, we decide what's right and wrong. People do. And we have the capacity within ourselves to determine what's right and wrong for everyone. And all of that is an illusion that is in conflict with reality of the creation that surrounds us. We can't seriously contemplate creation without recognizing and realizing that there is a creator behind what we see. If you go out in the bush and you sit under a tree and you look around, or you go and you sit and you look out at the ocean and are honest with yourself, you have to recognize there's a creator of all of that. that it's not an accident. There is an all-powerful creator who exists, and we are accountable to him. But when we repress or suppress that and say silly things like we evolved, what are we really saying? We're saying that we created ourselves. We're saying the human will is what got us here. We're stealing God's glory for ourselves. And we may refuse to acknowledge and worship God, but that doesn't mean we stop worshiping. Uh, it just means we focus our worship on something else besides God. And the Bible tells us in verse 23 what those things are. It says things like corruptible man, birds, beasts, creeping things, idols. We were created to worship God, and when we try to suppress that, we don't stop worshiping, we just worship something else. And at the time Paul wrote this, people actually created a lot of physical idols and actual statues that were idols that they worshipped. It actually caused Paul some trouble. He would go somewhere and, and start preaching Jesus, and people started following Jesus and stopped worshiping idols, and that's, then they stopped buying idols, and you know that was bad for the local craftsmen who made idols. Paul was bad for business. But everyone worships something, and when we suppress the knowledge of our Creator, we end up limiting ourselves to worshiping something that He has created. And Paul says in verse 22 that people think they're wise when they do that, but in reality, they're fools. People think they're wise when they do that. When we suppress the knowledge of God as our creator, our sinful nature begins to manifest itself in the ways we read about throughout this passage, that big long list of things. And without acknowledging God as an all-powerful creator, there's no way to pinpoint any kind of authority 
to define any kind of moral absolute except what we feel. And feelings change. That's why secular culture tends to be more malleable and shifting. No one has the wisdom to decide what is absolutely right and what is absolutely wrong. And none of us should be so conceited as to think we do. And we really can't rely on a society made up of people who don't have that ability to determine what's ultimately moral and immoral. So suppressing the knowledge of our Creator causes a lot of problems, causes a lot of division. And all these things can be summed up as a failure to love God and a failure to love our neighbor. And that's what leads to God revealing his wrath. And so we're going to answer the question, how does God reveal his wrath in the world now? And I'm sure there'd be several different answers people might have for that. But the way... God reveals his wrath today is, to put it very, very simply, is he gives people what they want. He turns people over to the sinful desires of their heart. God reveals in wrath and that he turns us over to the things we worship, the things in our life that we put in his place. It's like he gives us to those things. We're given over to those things and they rule us. And if you've ever been trapped in sin or caught up in addiction or something like that, you would understand that, what it's like to have sin rule you and what that feels like. It, they, they control us. We're inescapably bound to the slavery of sin if we don't recognize God as our creator and our accountability to him. It's like those sins, the things that we worship, the things that God turns us over to. It's like they they own us. It's like we are their slave. And when we suppress the knowledge of God within us, God gives us over to those things that we desire and the things that we worship. He allows us to be bound to those things. And someday, God will restore the earth to the way he intends it to be. And the Bible talks a lot about things being burned up by fire, destroyed by fire in, in many different places. And there's some allegorical things there, and there's some reality there. And I'm just using this as an illustration. This is a thought that needs some more fleshing out. And it's not, you know, a, like I say, it's an illustration. It's not an exact thing. It's an idea that I'm thinking through in my mind about how we are bound by sin or chained by sin. So don't take it too literally. But it's almost like when God makes everything new again, there's a fire that burns and consumes the things that we worship instead of God. Those things are burned, everything's made new. And those things are not going to survive the fire. Like God refines the earth. Everything's made new. It's almost like because people have denied God and they've worshipped other things, God has allowed them to be bound to that thing and owned by it. And when the fire comes, they're still bound to that thing and they can't escape. And it's God's intention to rescue people through the gospel. It's in his intention that Jesus break the chains of sin that bind us. But some reject God as creator. And they reject his son as savior. And God has turned them over to what they wanted instead. And most people go through life struggling and fighting 
and looking for something. I mean, you see that manifest in many different ways, people trying to find themselves, looking for something, searching, constantly looking and never finding, being made a slave to their own desires. And in all of that looking, we never find what we could simply just receive and enjoy in the gospel. And all the time, people are rejecting the truth that could set them free, and they remain slave to sin. And the word lust, there in verse 24, means an over-desire or a desire that's placed in the wrong place. You've heard me say that sin is a good God-given desire that's exercised outside of God's intended context, and many people struggle with that. We allow a good God-given desire to be controlled by our sinful nature. We desire things so much that we turn them into little gods. And then we worship and serve those little gods. And one thing to realize in all of this is that God lets people choose what they will worship. He's very patient. He's long-suffering. He wants you to turn to him. He wants to reconcile you. He wants you to know that Jesus died for your sin. He wants to set you free from the change of sin. But if we reject that and keep ignoring it, he'll turn us over to our own desires, if that's what you want. And Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And which way are you going to choose? Are you going to choose Jesus, or are you going to choose your own way? I'm going to ask you to stand for a moment. We're going to have a word of prayer. And... If you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time, or it's, it's always good to remind ourselves of these things. We choose to worship God, and we choose to follow him and serve him and recognize him as our creator and, and learn and understand the way that he wants us to live. But there's also the idea that eventually, if you keep rejecting that, God's going to give you what you want.